Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. GX on Agriculture. With Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, the Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture says there were two vastly different stories for farming in 2022. We'll hear from Todd Lewis, who lives at Gray, Saskatchewan. The President of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association describes 2022 as mixed. Garner Diabold of Hodgeville will join us on today's program as well. We will continue with our coverage of the producer panel on precision agriculture at the Canola Discovery Forum in Saskatoon back on December 7th. We will have more on that as well. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, it looks like the flurries have stopped, at least for the time being. Could we expect our temperatures perhaps to start warming up soon? Minimally, you're asking a lot at this point. <laughs> the temperature is, is, is struggling through the day. It's going to finish up below normal, maybe not by much. Uh, normal high this time of year, minus 12. We should be close to minus 14 this afternoon, uh, but just not a whole lot of warming potential. We still have a lot of cloudiness, even if it is a thinner overcast through the afternoon. Most of the flurries now east of us. There have been some in the air. Uh, the cloudiness that's around is not producing much. It may still be the occasional cloud that passes by producing a, a nuisance flurry or two. Uh, there may still be... Uh, areas east, a couple of other flurries. There may still be some snow getting whipped around, uh, stuff that's already fallen, but not much new as far as accumulation for sure. Temperatures again, minus 14 this afternoon. The wind coming down, it's been less than 20, and it drops off a little more as the day goes on, so wind should be becoming less and less of a factor. For tonight, that cloud cover continues to gradually decrease. We'll call it partly cloudy. If it's at times mostly cloudy, I will, uh, I'll take the, the detail correction. But uh, overall, variable sky, minus 21 is low. And the wind, very light tonight, averaging around 10. For tomorrow, partly sunny sky should be a little brighter than today. Should be a little warmer than today. Back to normal, minus 12. Partly to mostly cloudy, minus 21 for Friday night. And a, a decent stretch of weather ahead. There is uh, some indication that the cloudiness that mixes in from time to time may produce the odd flurry or two here and there. Most of the time, it's mainly a nighttime thing, most of the time the next few days we are dry. We'll call it partly sunny on Saturday with a high of minus 13, partly sunny on Sunday, minus 11, and look more toward a mostly cloudy sky on Monday with a high of minus 9. The uh, progression of these systems is just a very minor uh, disturbance here or there. That's what brings that nighttime threat that I mentioned. We'll be watching a storm system tracking to our south uh, Monday night into Tuesday. Should bring some snow across parts of Manitoba. I uh, should almost entirely, if not entirely, uh, miss Saskatchewan. That'll come by Tuesday into Wednesday. A little bit of cooler air behind it, but the Arctic air looks to track just east as it drops in. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. 
Temperatures around the region this hour, the Paw and Roblin are at minus 18 degrees. Swan River and Show Lake Russell, minus 17. Dauphin and Brandon, minus 15. Regina is at minus 12. Saskatoon, minus 13. Hudson Bay, minus 18. Broadview, Mooseman, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 16. Indian Head, minus 15. The Yorkton-Melville region has some very light snow. A west-northwest wind at 15 kilometers an hour. 77% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 18 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 26 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 12 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 18 degrees. There was 1.2 millimeters of water equivalent precipitation that fell in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 12. The normal low is minus 23. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.54 this morning and it will set at 4.50 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Sprague at minus 4 degrees. The cold spot Tadouli Lake at minus 35 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Maple Creek at plus 4 degrees. The cold spot was Island Falls at minus 24 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. GX and Agriculture will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. The vice president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture says there were two vastly different stories for farming in 2022. Todd Lewis of Gray says there was abundant rainfall in the eastern grain belt while the western portion suffered from drought. Well, you know, the province as big as Saskatchewan, it was a vastly different story from, uh, you know, one side of the province to the other, or even north to south. Certainly the east side of the province, we saw a bounce back, really, as far as uh, moisture conditions. And even in some areas uh, in the eastern side of the province, there's even excess moisture. Whereas on the west side of the province, and west central areas, we went through a, a drought conditions again, and and in some cases, even a, a further deepening of the drought situation. So it's a, a good news story and bad story, bad news story, unfortunately, across the province, depending where, where your location was and went hand in many cases, just where the thunder showers fell. So it's still a, a situation in, uh, especially on the west side of the province where we have drought conditions and uh, really going into next spring, there's lots of questions as far as lack of moisture in cropland and pastures. And, and you know, we were, we're certainly seeing our livestock industry really hardly affect you know affected in a in a very negative way as far as water availability and uh, even water to uh, keep their herds in in operation and on the land uh, you know we've seen record amount amount of uh, cattle and a decrease in the cattle herd and so hopefully uh, you know this uh, winter has been a pretty hard start to winter and we've we've seen some uh, snow and moisture and hopefully we'll see more and try and replenish some of the some of the moisture that's lacking in certain parts of the province and and of course we're hoping in those parts of the province to saw a little extra moisture that we don't get too much flooding or excess moisture in the spring but at the same time uh, you know it's pretty hard to uh, do anything when you don't have moisture so we're, we're certainly hoping to see some general snowfall and uh, rain in the spring to to uh, replenish things going forward 
He reflects on farm prices and rising costs in 2022. Well, it's you know record. We we never put more money into a crop than we did this spring. Uh, fortunately, it was offset with also some very high and in, in many cases record commodity prices. So it's a balancing act. Of course, uh, when expenses go up, risks go up, and high prices won't be be here forever. And it always uh, seems to take longer for. Uh, input prices to uh, follow if we see a drop in crop prices so i think that's the biggest concern with farmers right now they they look at the the numbers that they're they're putting out when the springtime comes and and spraying season starts and all the outputs as far as herbicide costs and fertilizer costs and seed costs are all at record levels and it's good to have the record prices and uh, we certainly need them to offset these prices but uh, i think that's the everybody's waiting for the the shoe to drop if we see a drop in those commodity prices we're going to have some pretty high input prices to uh that won't follow quite as quickly when the commodities start to drop but but i think overall at the same time it's a it's a positive time for agriculture and we've seen some uh, record uh, income and and uh, so that's a good thing and on some some producers have been able to catch up on some uh debt repayment and uh you know there's some new equipment in a lot of yards and we certainly see uh you know things like uh the auction sales and uh used equipment is hard to come by uh you know that that uh, has a lot to do with a lot of the supply chain issues and so on it's difficult to die, buy new uh, equipment right now not only because it's, it's been bought but also that the suppliers are having a hard time supplying new equipment as well so it's uh, like i say it's a real balancing act and we get through all the problems that have occurred because of COVID and, and some of the transportation issues we had as far as supply chain. It's an interesting time to be farming and it's certainly heightened risk, but, but also heightened reward. And Lewis looks ahead to 2023. Well, I think most farmers are fairly optimistic. That's why we're in the business. If we weren't optimists, we, we probably wouldn't be in the business. But I think there's some uh, clouds in the horizon, but there's also lots of opportunities and I think overall, it's really the, the, the biggest part that really defines on a individual farm is what their moisture levels are at going into the fall. As, as I said before, a lot of farmers are exceptionally dry and other farmers are at normal moisture, maybe even above uh, normal moisture. And those farmers have been fortunate enough to get timely rains and, and have some excess moisture. I think generally those farmers are fairly optimistic. But the dry areas of the province, you know, there's uh, lots of hard decisions they have between now and spring if it does rain, that's for sure. So I think it's a mix of fairly optimistic, but lots of pessimism too. Todd Lewis of Gray is the vice president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture and past president of APAS. Meanwhile, the president of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association describes 2022 as mixed. Garner Diabold of Hodgeville says there was more moisture in many parts of the province, but the southwest still suffered from another year of very dry conditions. 2022 was uh, a, a year that was uh, mixed, I guess, as far as uh, production results. Uh, much of the province had much better uh, rainfall and, and moisture conditions, and so I guess as far as forages and feed goes, uh, you know, there was adequate feed in many areas. The drought still continues in southwest Saskatchewan. I mean, there's some areas there that are just in extreme drought conditions uh, that are, you know, compounded here by year after year of, of way below average precipitation. And so for many, uh, you know, it was a turnaround year, but for others, the challenges continue on the drought side. 
Market-wise, you know, much improved uh, calf prices going through the fall here, and uh, you know that was much appreciated. I think uh, on average they were up somewhere between 45 and 55 cents across the board. So uh, you know, in all weight breaks, and and so that was much needed. And uh, again, especially with the inflation where it's at, fuel, fertilizer, feed costs, uh, you know, they just have risen so dramatically. And and again, those are other challenges that producers are dealing with. He says water supplies in southwestern Saskatchewan continue to be an issue. Again, in areas, uh, definitely, uh, you know, the, there was a, a real uh, lack of water uh, quantity in some areas, but then quality as well, you know, is an issue. And again, that's just, again, uh, the year after year drought situation that people are in here. So, you know, from hauling water and trying to pump water to drilling new wells and, you know, those are all things that people have been dealing with here and will continue into the new year here as well. Diabold would like to see Saskatchewan's water development program expand. Well, I think that that is one of the programs that has really been of, of great assistance here for ranchers and farmers. Uh, you know, it, it's a, a, a program that definitely delivers, you know, some much needed uh, support, you know, and something that will drought proof or help drought proof, I guess, in the future as well, where it will deal with these cyclical droughts that we seem to go through here. And, and so the, the FERWA program, you know, is something that many ranchers and farmers have taken advantage of. And, and so from my understanding is that, is that the program will continue, uh, you know, in the new round of business risk management programming. And, and so that uh, again, will will you know? I guess any expansion on it will also be appreciated if there will be some other costs that will be covered by it. As for his outlook on 2023, so 2023, uh, you know, again, it's a year that there's a lot of unknowns. I guess going into the year, even in some of the the areas that had adequate rainfall by August, the moisture had stopped, and so uh, you know, they're they're probably again wondering what uh, the new year will hold for them uh, right now uh, you know I guess uh, on the on the growth side it would be you know nice to see above average you know snowfall and, and some good runoff to really help out on the on the water situation side of things you know so uh, I, I think that people are always optimistic but again you know there will be challenges for for people in this part of the world for sure. Diabald would like to see Saskatchewan's cattle herds start increasing again, but he knows that won't be easy. Well, uh, you know, profitability, or the, I guess first off, the lack of profitability is, is what contributes in part to the shrinking cow herd. Uh, drought has been one of the things as well, but I've been talking to producers from across the province, and, and just the lack of profitability is, is what drives, uh, you know, the reduction in cow numbers. And, and so for that to turn around, I guess that, you know, would, would also turn around the cow numbers. But he's uncertain about 2023. Uh, right now, I would tend to have some major concerns, I guess. And so, again, you know, the, the reduction in cow herd numbers, uh, that, that definitely is concerning. And, and, you know, I don't know the, what will turn that around. You know, if, if people are profitable, we'll see the cow numbers grow again. But until that happens, we, we won't be in a, in a good situation, I don't believe, as far as the cow numbers go here in the province. Market-wise, looks promising. Again, the U.S. numbers are way down, and, and so a lot of the times uh, our markets go along with what goes on in the U.S. And, and so if they're short-supplied on beef, uh, that definitely will shore up the prices here in, in Canada. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm optimistic on the markets. 
Garner Diabold of Hodgeville is the president of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. As 2022 comes to an end, a trader believes the commodities market will very likely remain range-bound through the new year. Ken Ball of PI Financial in Winnipeg says there's heavy spreading, as well as the maneuvering of year-end positions and plenty of liquidation going on at the moment, all trapped in a sideways affair. Ball says this has very little to do with canola itself, but much more to do with the large amounts of spreading the markets have been witnessing. He notes speculative money believes many of the grains and oil seeds are too high, including canola, without any reason to completely justify those prices. In the meantime, Ball points to increases canola made during most of its trading yesterday. With ice canola futures taking two days off for the holidays, it had to catch up to the gains made at the Chicago Board of Trade the day before. Farmers and agronomists across Western Canada are understandably concerned about insecticide options for pest control in 2023. Following the late November announcement of Lambda Psi-containing products Silencer and Matador being pulled from retail locations, many are wondering if the remaining available products will be in short supply for the year. One of the alternative options for flea beetle, grasshopper and cutworm control is FMC Canada's pyrethroid-containing product Pounce. Marketing manager Katrina Schmidt says they were already planning on greater supply of pounce and some of their other insecticides given the trajectory of their adoption in the market. She says they were already looking to supply basically double what they sold into the market this past year. Ship insurers say they are cancelling war risk coverage across Russia, Ukraine and Belarus following an exit from the region by reinsurers in the face of steep losses. Reinsurers who insure the insurers typically renew their 12-month contracts with insurance clients on January 1st, giving them the first opportunity to scale back exposure since the war in Ukraine started after being hit this year by losses related to the conflict and from Hurricane Ian in Florida. Protection and Indemnity Clubs American... North, UK and West are no longer able to offer war risk coverage for some liabilities in the region from January 1st. The clubs are among the biggest insurers who cover around 90% of the world's ocean-going ships. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is planning to make recommendations on how to regulate the use of popular cannabis compound, CBD, in food and supplements. After weighing the evidence on the compound's safety, the FDA will decide within months how to regulate legal cannabis and whether that will require new agency rules or new legislation from the U.S. Congress. Cannabidiol, or CBD, is a non-psychoactive compound derived from cannabis. Cannabis products, excluding Jazz Pharmaceuticals Epidiolex, are illegal at the federal level in the United States, although some states allow their use. 
The agency wants to know if CBD can be safely eaten every day for a long period or during pregnancy amid concerns about future fertility. President Xi Jinping wants China to accelerate efforts to achieve self-reliance in agricultural technology, identifying seed development and core equipment among areas to focus on. The central leadership had said in 2020 that the country's seed industry was a weak link in the food chain and needed to make better use of science and technology to achieve a turnaround. The president urged China's agricultural sector to vigorously improve its science and technology with more efficient innovation. She urged the sector to address issues with innovation, such as the rate of conversion into commercial applications and a lack of cooperation between research teams. China has invested large sums of money in basic research for agriculture, but has few large commercial companies that invest in long-term research and development to bring innovative solutions to the market. And that's the AgriView portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in 30 seconds' time. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 158.77 this hour. That's up 97. April live cattle trading at 162.45, up 67. January feeder cattle trading at 183.90, that's up 42. March feeder cattle trading at 186.87, up 67. February lean hogs trading at 89 even, that's down 180. April lean hogs trading at 95.77, down 80. And that's the livestock market conditions. Now we will continue with our coverage of the producer panel on precision agriculture at the Canola Discovery Forum in Saskatoon on December 7th. Jay Wetter with the Canola Council of Canada moderated the discussion with three Saskatchewan producers, Rob Stone from Davidson, Carl DeConnick-Smith of Darcy, and Shayla Worms from St. Walburg. The 60-minute panel discussion covered a variety of topics, including spot spraying. We will start with a question from moderator Jay Wetter and the response from Carl DeConnick-Smith. The question is, what is the biggest barrier holding back spot spray technology, reliability, return on investment, effectiveness, does it actually work, waiting for green on green sensitivity, or E, it's a bad idea. Okay, so nobody said it was a bad idea, so there's a good thing. <laughs> Number one is waiting for green on green. Carl, we'll start with you since this is your question. So you're, you're seeing a return on investment in two-ish years with the green on brown already, uh, yet the response is suggesting that more people are waiting for green on green. Do you want to address that one? Yeah, like uh, I try to talk to as many people about the technology as I can, and definitely green on green is definitely the buzzword. There's a lot of money investment going into that, and it, it, it is coming. You know, I don't think it's, it's definitely not 
fully here yet for sure. John Deere's got their ultimate system. It's uh, the beginning phases in the States. You know, it will be a year or two at least probably before it gets here. I sort of go back to the, it's the, the low hanging fruit. There's more opportunity, certainly in the short term for us to save more money in our spring burnoff, which is where we're having a lot of our resistance issues, or, or in the fall as well. So that's where our bulk of our savings is going to come from. I think what a lot of people don't understand about green on green, we may get there eventually that it's 100% accurate, but probably it's only going to be at best 75 80% accurate. So what happens is in that very critical phase of our in-crop application, where we don't have a second chance. As farmers, we may use the green on green technology for some of those first applications, like taking some grasses out of canola, that's easy. But we're still gonna come back two weeks later and give it the full application because we can't afford to miss any of those wild oats or anything that's hidden. So there's a gap there. We all wanna see green on green, it's the holy grail of the of the spot spring, but there's a whole lot of stuff that we can do and learn to trust before we get there. We've got to walk before we run. This is the response from Rob Stone of Davidson, and that will be followed by some additional information from Dr. Joy Agnew, Associate Vice President of Applied Research with Oles College in Central Alberta. I'm just thinking about why we don't do that, and I'm, I don't know, because we should do that. <laughs> so, on your farm, you should. Do yeah, that. we should do that because you know we have enough acres to do that, and and we just haven't. And I think some of it is because when glyphosate was four dollars a liter, even if when we were putting in a, a multiple mode of action with it and all of those sorts of things, our, our cost to go over the acres wasn't terrible. But the expenses are creeping in, and uh, I'm probably uh, as guilty as anybody saying, well, when it's when it's perfected. And when it's green on green and it has all the stuff, then I'll just go buy a new sprayer with it. We have done, over time, we've, we've done kind of the, the non-OEM add-on stuff. And uh, it's, not as, it's not as cute, it's not as nice to use. So they're poor excuses, but that's certainly what's why we don't have one. Like, you know, I've thought a lot about, uh, like, these, these are the top answers that I got back from, from, it was my poll that I kind of put on Twitter, actually asking farmers of why they're not adopting this technology, and sort of thinking it through, I mean, I can go through all those on, on my farm, and I've, I've answered those, like, I've answered the ROIs, I've answered the reliability, I've had zero reliability issues in, in five years with the system, does it work, I mean, I want to make a t-shirt that says, Kim Fallow doesn't lie, you, you can't fake Kim Fallow, it, it either works or it doesn't, so I, I know that the system, it works, what I've sort of come down to is just sort of a, a, a quick observation is, um, imagination. It's almost a lack of imagination of thinking about these systems and how we can just use these tools and, and implement them with uh, you know, all the chemical technology that you guys are developing. These tools can be used to really leverage that in different ways. The demographics of, of the audience here are about 5% farmers. This is online and in the room. 40 or so percent researchers and then lots of people from ag tech and uh, farm inputs companies. If there are weeds researchers out there who might have a comment about using optical spraying 
uh, and the right time, do we wait for green on green or do we jump in now because there's real clear ROI and there's, there's, there's a good message when it comes to integrated weed management. Why don't you jump up and share some thoughts? Joy. I'm not a weed researcher, but I am an innovation evaluation researcher. So I so appreciate the farmer perspective on optical spot spray and return on investment and reliability. I can comment from a research perspective that we have looked at the weed technology for the past three years at Olds College and looked at very specifically reliability, accuracy, and ROI. And I can report that we looked at things like accuracy of the spraying. How, how large does the, does the weed have to be before it triggers? Did it actually hit all of the weeds above a certain threshold? And did it have any impact on weed pressure throughout the growing season and, and ultimately yield? So we were looking at the spot spray setting, the bias setting, full spray setting, and can confidently share research data, replicated trials at field scale that showed a 96% chemical use reduction and no negative impact on yield. And we are just wrapping up the data analysis from the second year of trials, so we'll be able to have another year of data. But the one thing I'll, I'll share, and maybe I need to do that carefully in this room, but the most challenging weed at the pre-seed burn-off stage with that technology was volunteer canola. Because of the size of that weed at the pre-seed burn-off stage, it was too small for the seed and spray system to see it and spray it. But we, have, we now have two years of data that show there is strong reliability, strong accuracy, and strong ROI for that technology. You've been listening to a producer panel on precision agriculture held December 7th in Saskatoon. I'll have more on drones right after this. I'm back with the producer panel on precision agriculture. The three producer panelists were asked about how they use drones. Rob Stone from Davidson starts, followed by a short answer from Carl DeConnick-Smith and a longer response from Shayla Worms of St. Wahlberg. I bought one to take a picture of my farm like five years ago or six years ago, and it was really fun, and we drove it around, and then I crashed it a couple times, and then I sold it to the neighbor because I, you know, that's, that was about all that I was able to do with that. Since then, we map every acre of our farm this fall for topography using green aerotex technology. I haven't had a chance to see the maps yet, but it was a good fall for mapping because there was no water and there was no vegetation. So we will have basically maps of our entire farm elevation so that we have a really good idea of where we've got some opportunities for water management and where we've got some opportunities for other things. So that's what we've, we've used them for as it stands. Um, looking forward to the opportunities with uh, fixed wing drones for spraying. It sounds like there's some companies that are pretty close to getting some really neat stuff going with sea and spray. It's just going to be a matter of some of those PMRA things and it sounds like they're starting to sort that out as well. So that's my drone experiences. Yeah, I don't have any experience, but definitely it's it's on our radar, thinking of the potential uses coming up for them. And uh, we, we did use our drone a lot, actually, when mapping for breaking land-wise. So anyone who's looking to do that, that helped a ton for um, taking pictures and just kind of navigating uh, the setup of that and how we needed to work the fields so that that was efficient and precise when it comes to how that was done. And then otherwise would agree, it's just kind of a nice everyday thing to have, um, a, a piece of technology at the tip of your fingertips whenever you need it. We did 
did have uh, cattle. We've recently sold them, uh, all, all of them pretty much. But when we did, it was nice on days where you just needed to check out cattle as well. Like it's, it's a really neat technology to use. And I would make the mention that it's very exciting for uh, kids. So they really love that. When I was able to show a, a class of grade four, a video of us getting a heifer back in with a drone, they thought that was pretty cool. The preceding comments were from a producer panel on precision agriculture at the Canola Discovery Forum in Saskatoon, December 7th. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 873.60, up $9.60. May canola trading at $871 per metric ton, up $9.50. March Minneapolis wheat trading at $918 per bushel, that's down $0.16. Cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at $865 and a half, that's down $0.16 and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at $772 per bushel, down 13 and a half cents. March corn trading at 679 and quarter, down three and a half cents. March soybeans trading at 1515 per bushel, that's up three quarters of a cent. And March oats trading at 370 and a quarter, down six and a quarter cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. Soil testing in the fall is a good way to determine fertility needs for the spring. And the key to a good fertility plan is a representative soil sample. Dr. Diane Knight is a professor of soil science at the University of Saskatchewan's College of Agriculture and Bioresources. She says it's good to check the soil for nitrogen levels as low as a foot when it comes to pulse crops. A foot is fine for pul- for most pulses, I would say, yeah, because especially for pulses because it sort of doesn't matter in a way how much nitrogen is there because they have their own way right if we're looking at other crops you might want to go a little deeper if they tend to be really deep rooted but but i don't think for pulses i haven't really thought about that before but i don't think it would really uh i don't think we'd want to go further she says there are soil nutrient benefits to having pulse crops in your rotation CDN ratios is the ratio of carbon to nitrogen in um, the plant residues and the nodules and the um, things that the pulses excrete from their root systems. And when we have uh, low numbers, it means that there's lots of nitrogen relative to the carbon. So, um, you know, uh, a number of uh, 12 to 1 is better than, not better, but different than a number of 40 to one. So 12 to one would be more typical and that's not even a good example. More like 20 to one would be a good example for a pulse crop, whereas wheat would be something like 40 to one. Okay, so just so that people know what I'm talking about. And that means that there's more nitrogen. So what happens with the microorganisms is that they're like 
eating the residues that are in the soil, the roots and and, um, leaves and things like that. And when there's a lot of carbon in the sample, so with a, a big number, there that there's way more carbon than nitrogen and they keep eating and eating and eating and eating trying to get as much nitrogen as they can to balance off the energy source from the carbon when there's not when there's more nitrogen they don't have to eat as much in a way and they they're able to turn it over much more quickly so when it gets tied up in the bodies of the organisms because they haven't reached their nitrogen yet we call that immobilization and when there's more nitrogen around and they don't have to eat very much that those little bodies reach their nitrogen quota and then they start to actually die and turn over and that nitrogen becomes more available and that's what we call mobilization so that that nitrogen becomes much more available for whatever's growing there um, way faster with most pulse crops than it will with a cereal crop, for example. So those C to N ratios of the pulse crops are really what's driving um, that um, mobilization of the nitrogen. It's hard to explain without diagrams and stuff, but I hopefully that's sort of clear for people. Dr. Knight says it is because there is some subsidiary effects on other soil nutrients. It's interesting because we only seem to ever talk about C to N ratios, but a C to P ratio will be what drives phosphorus um, turnover as well. And we don't think of it with other nutrients, but more recently people are starting to look at these ratios of things a little bit more. And it's, yeah, so the nitrogen itself, yeah, we're going to have those organisms turning over faster, that nitrogen is going to be released. Nitrogen is not in there all by itself, right? There's other nutrients, so they're also going to be released uh, as well. And it depends a a bit on how, um, how green or how brown the materials are. So when we're talking about green manures, we're, we're digging in uh, materials that are very, very wet and young, and they have and their nitrogen turns over really fast. And then as they get older and more lignified and more more uh, fibrous, then they break down a little bit slower. So and that that is also the case with um, pulse crops. So those older residues are going to break down a little slower than younger residues are. She adds volunteer peas and lentils generally shouldn't be plowed under. Myself, usually let them freeze off. That would be usually. Um, If you're in a particularly super dry area, you might want to terminate them. But uh, people have done some studies looking at, um, not that specifically, but green manures. And if you you terminate them really late, do they use up way more water and suck all the water out? And, And the answer is kind of no. 
Okay. Like they, we like intuitively we think they do, but in the big scheme of things, they're not really using much more water than you would see being evaporated off in a fallow system, for example. So, so generally, letting them grow, they will probably fix some nitrogen, and that nitrogen. Um, even if it's just nitrogen that's been taken up from the soil, it's tied up in this organic form that'll protect it from leaching and um, denitrification for a while as well too. So organic forms of things are often just better than inorganic forms. They protect um, nutrients from um, being lost to the environment. Dr. Diane Knight is a professor of soil science at the University of Saskatchewan's College of Agriculture and Bioresources. She made her comments on the Pulse of the Prairies podcast. Farm Bulletin Board. Applications are now being accepted for the 2023 Saskatchewan Agriculture Student Scholarship Program. This year's theme is farming and the environment. Applicants of the scholarship are encouraged to explore the idea of environmental sustainability within farming and the importance of public perception on modern farming practices. Applicants should focus on progressive environmental practices conducted by producers and the importance of relaying that message to the public to enhance trust in the industry. Students are invited to submit a creative three-minute video or 1,000-word essay discussing farming and the environment. Scholarships will be awarded to students in grade 12 and or recent graduates entering agriculture-related post-secondary studies in 2023. One winning scholarship of $4,000 and three runner-up scholarships of $2,000 will be awarded. The deadline for applications is March 1st, 2023. For more information on the Saskatchewan Agriculture Student Scholarship Program, visit saskatchewan.ca slash ag scholarship. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Cloudy with a 40% chance of flurries. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20. A high of minus 14. A wind chill of minus 28. For tonight, partly cloudy. Winds west-southwest at 10 to 15. A low of minus 21. A wind chill of minus 32. For tomorrow, partly sunny, winds south-southeast at 10 to 15, a high of minus 12, a low of minus 21. For Saturday, partly sunny, winds northeast at 10 to 15, and a high of minus 13. For New Year's Day, Sunday, partly sunny, a high of minus 11, and for Monday, cloudy, a high of minus 9. In the Paw and Roblin, it's minus 18 degrees. Swan River and Show Lake Russell, minus 17. Dauphin and Brandon, minus 15. Regina is at minus 12. Saskatoon, minus 13. Hudson Bay, minus 18. Broadview Mooseman, Winyard Wadena, Kelvington, minus 16. Indian Head, minus 15. 
The Yorkton-Melville region has very light snow. A west-northwest wind at 15 kilometers an hour. 77% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 18 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 26 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX 94.